You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean and Rick. And we're going to be diving back into our conversation with Brandon Rollins. It was so interesting that we had to continue talking about uh, logistics and you know project management and that kind of thing. And if you guys think that it's dry, I expect you may crash and burn after you fund your Kickstarter. And so don't be that person. Please listen to this podcast. All right. But first, let's get into some news. So on RPG.net, someone asked a question. It was to do with how people find new role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games. So it was a poll, and there's a list of options people could select, and they were told to pick the top three. It has 133 votes, which isn't huge, but you know, RPG.net being pretty much a space for hardcore tabletop role players, it provides some interesting insights, even though it isn't a, a very thorough uh, a poll. And we'll include it in the show notes for you to look at. It's interesting because it shows you how people are finding games, and it has like has it in percentages. So if we go down the list, I think we'll be able to figure out what's the most effective way that this is done. So a lot of people said other, which basically said describe in the comments below. And when you look at that, it's a lot of them said Twitter, which isn't mentioned okay. in, in this. In terms of Twitter, there was an interesting talk during the Game Developers Conference (GDC) titled "Build Your Own Fan Club: How to Use Your Email List," and it's by Chris Zukowski. He's explaining the importance of email, but he has this list. He compares 2,000 followers on Twitter, Facebook, and email. And he basically shows that with 2,000 followers on Twitter, you're only going to reach 40 of those people on Twitter, which is pretty dismal. So, Like for a post, right? Yeah, per post. So compared to email, which is 435. So even though a lot of people are saying Twitter... They're clear that people on Twitter are clearly finding it somewhere else because you'd have to get a lot of traction on Twitter before it could be discovered on Twitter, if that makes sense. So if we, th- if we then go down, well, then the next one we have is friends. Well, again, that's pretty much the same thing, right? If it's through a friend, they must have heard it about it from somewhere. So if we keep on going down the list, we have drive through RPG, the top list. Well, if it's trending on the top, top list, people are discovering it somehow. Well, then if we, so if we keep on going down, we then have online ads, including social media ads, which is really interesting. So basically, people are finding it on ads. They're then telling their friends, and then it snowballs. That's pretty much how they're how they're finding it. Uh, so that's just very interesting. I think it shows you the power of online advertising, and that you know, people, if the ads are targeted at the right demographics and, and the themes really jump out to people, people are clicking ads. They're responding to it. So it was it was just a, a good sort of confirmation of what what we've seen as well that ads have to be a key backbone into your marketing strategy so you could vote multiple times in this poll so 133 people voted and of those 133 some could vote you know you could vote multiple times so it was like all the ways that you hear or pick your top 3 is what the prompt was so you you could you know pick your top 3 so other um, I saw Twitter and I also saw RPG.net was the source. Now, I think that there's a little bit of bias there, which is because the poll was hosted on RPG.net. So a lot of people using the website said, I find them on RPG.net. Of course you do because you use the website. Yeah, because all 133 of those people. 
use RPG. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I look for drivers and certain things are not necessarily drivers. I, I actually would counter and say that friends, that is certainly a driver of interest. So the friend that sourced it, I would call the alpha gamer. This would be the person that, you know, teaches everybody the rules on game night. This would be the person that um, backs is a super backer on Kickstarter is the person that has to make everybody play this new game that they that they just learned the rules to or, or we're going to learn the rules together. And I think that that friend tells other friends and those people buy and begin kind of the, this chain, which is a lot of the time how board games and RPGs actually sell. They it seems like they pass dominantly from household to household through game nights and things like that. This can also happen from local game stores. But the the important thing to note is that the driver is not simply people getting people to know about it. It's targeting these alpha gamers and getting the alpha gamers to know about it, who will then tell others and so on and so forth. And so on down the list, like you were saying, you've got a drive through RPG top list which is at, it was like 36% of people voted for that. Then the next highest was online ads, which was social media uh, ads, like Facebook ads dominantly. That is 28% of the vote almost. Online ads are a driver that targets that initial group. Now, another one that I found really interesting was text reviews. Hmm. Um, RPGs are different from board games and video games in that you can't really do a playthrough of the RPG. If it's a one-shot campaign, it's like, hey, here are all the spoilers that you would want to save for yourself. So they don't really do a lot of video reviews and playthroughs and things. So text reviews, I found really interesting. I think that reviewers are so important for regardless. I mean, if you have a game, you need reviewers. It's so critical. And I think that that's another dominant source of, I guess, what I would say the, uh, the, the, the originator of interest and the alpha gamer looking at their favorite reviewers and whatnot. I think that's going to be a big one. And then you've got YouTube and Twitch reviews, which I would kind of lump in the same place, even though text reviews had over double the, uh, the number of votes that YouTube and Twitch reviews did. But I was interested to see that friendly local game stores are quite low on this list. It was kind of surprising how low the friendly local game store was. Yeah, uh, you you know why do you think that was? Well, it seems like that would be a big driver. Could be because of all the lockdowns. People recently haven't been able to get to their game stores, so a lot of it has happened online. That's probably why maybe online advertising has done so well as well in that regard. But it's interesting, you know, you talk about friends and these targeting these alpha or hardcore gamers and that having a knock-on effect. Well, that's really what YouTube and Twitch reviews are because you're targeting sort of influencers or many influencers who are going to then impact their audience and get them to spread the word or buy the product and then it's interesting that text reviews did so well which makes sense for role-playing games because you you, you obviously have to enjoy reading if you're going to play a role-playing game you got to read core books you got to read campaign books you know so yep. you got to read you know history or different you know things which influence your campaigns that you can then br bring and introduce so it makes sense that text reviews would score quite high with this demographic because obviously it's a group of people that enjoy reading. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's actually really curious. I find that some people in our crowdfunding nerds community have even said, hey, do you have transcripts of your podcasts or articles 
that I could read instead of actually listening because I don't like to listen to podcasts. It takes too long. You know, that's yeah. just the way some people are. You know, they they're willing to listen to hours and hours of footage when they're really interested in something, but when it's just cursory information that they're gain they're there's when they're seeking information, they're not they're not as interested unless a topic just strikes at the perfect time, then, you know, like for me, if uh, I remember when Lord of the Rings Journey to Middle Earth came out for the first time, I did a lot of research before that game actually got to my doorstep. I was just buried in anything that I could look at, video, article, everything. But yeah, so I, I think that this is very interesting. And the story that it reminded me of, I had I had a client that was, I think I mentioned them on the podcast before, but they're kind of an as seen on TV product for an older demographic average age of their customers, 72 years old. It's not in the games industry or anything like that. It's, um, you know, a consumable product that helps you hear a TV a little bit better and, or a lot better. We would do a ton of ads online. And my job basically was to make sure they were, they were a larger client of mine at at the time we had them for over five years. And my job in essence was number one, to dominate the organic search results page for their key phrase. So their, their key terms. In fact, you know, I don't, I don't mind sharing the client's name or anything because we had a great relationship and all it's called TV ears. But uh, my job was to dominate the search results on Google for TV ears. We were, we were working against Costco and Walmart and target and Best Buy and, and those competitors. So I needed to push all of those people out of the top 10 list and uh, for their, for their key term. And they would also spend a lot of money on paid ads to dominate the paid ads for their key terms too. When somebody is searching for the product name, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are, you know, it's, it wasn't the name of the, the condition that somebody would have or whatever. They would often, you know, type into Google, you know, how to hear your TV if you're hard of hearing and things like that. Um, so it wasn't really a driver of interest, but they spent a lot of money on it because that was how they captured the interest that was driven by other means. And the other means, quote unquote, were ads that they like print ads that they placed in magazines that would target certain households, like 55 and up communities and so on and so forth. And I remember they would always drop a big ad in Parade Magazine and the search queries would just be through the roof for their keywords. And uh, so it was a really interesting case study that that reminds me of, or this RPG.net thing reminded me of that. You know? yeah, t- talking about but, ads, I, I realized that someone was running ads for crowdfunding nerds because when you type into Google, there's an ad before that website. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we should be running ads. I don't know, to like bump that up. But I, I don't know, what I do is I, I always, whenever I see the ad, I always skip it. I never kind of read it. I, I kind of train myself. So I think a lot of people do that with Google ads. They might just skip the first one. They know it's an ad because it's like kind of manipulating the search. Yeah. And I will, I'll actually say regarding Facebook. So people will, on Google, people will pick what they believe is the best match for their search. And like you said, we're kind of automatically trained to say the number one result on Google is the best match for the search. And so you'll skip the ads, which are just people trying to get your money. And then you're going to click on that, on that first result or first, second or third result. Right. Um, or if you don't get a good result, maybe you'll scroll down a little bit to see what's on the first page. And if usually you don't get a good result, then you'll change your search term rather than look at the second page. 
And, and with Facebook, I find that, you know, we get sometimes clients will want to collaborate with us on their ad creatives and they'll include all of this, all of these badges, like, you know, coming soon to Kickstarter and they'll include the games logo and they'll include cards and a board game box and like the minis over here and the cardboard components over there and the metal coins and all of that in the same ad creative. And it looks so complicated. It just looks like an ad. And that's a big problem. People don't want to click on ads. They want to see what appears to be an organic, natural post. And that's kind of what Facebook does. They they have this tiny little word that says sponsored or, and that's that indicates that it's an ad, but you can actually make it look a lot like a, a natural organic post. Yeah, so. and what I've actually started noticing what I started noticing on my Facebook feed is people have been posting images that look like they've sort of been framed. Like, you know, when you post multiple images on Facebook, it kind of frames one of them sort of half frame and it has like these mini frames for the, like the mm-hmm. other images. They've been doing single images with that same layout. So it looks like an organic post that, you know, if you click this image, it's going to like load that one image. So I've seen that happen quite, quite a lot now. So mm-hmm. that might be something worth, something worth trying, but does seem a little bit disingenuous yeah (laughs) so yeah that is curious though i think um you know we'll make sure to include the the link for this in the show notes you know to kind of bring this back to what you were talking about at the beginning the email list is the main driver of your own company's interest and that's because you become the influencer if you have a lot of people that are fans of your stuff your email list can in fact does become the single largest driver of revenue because that's how you communicate with your fans and um, in a manner that they actually will open it most often or receive it. You know, Facebook is like, eh, you've had 120 people see this already. I think that you're, uh, you're fine. <laughs> yeah, you're not paying us. So, um, but yeah, if you think they don't do that, then you're uh, woefully uninformed. So, So in other news, the Board Game Design Lab podcast, which is a podcast that I've actually been listening to for about six years, just announced that it's their last episode. Gabe Barrett of the Board Game Design Lab, who has been a guest on our podcast before, and we've done lots of his his projects and we're still working with him and whatnot, has announced after at episode 301 that the Board Game Design Lab podcast is ending its tenure for the foreseeable future. Number one, I enjoyed that podcast a lot, and I'm sad. I, I enjoyed having Gabe tell me good luck with all that I've got going on right now, with everything I've got going on right now. That's uh, that's always been kind of a staple of my week, especially when I'm in hardcore game design mode. And, of course, we also had our our advertisement on the uh, BGDL, like he was gracious enough to to, to do that, and which he, he included that on the last episode as well. And that was really... I would say probably at, at at one time we were getting like half of our clients just from that. So he really helped us as we were growing. So, but we're going to miss that podcast. We're going to, you know, obviously we get to, you know, we're kind of spoiled because, you know, I've got Gabe's cell phone number and we talk all, all the time. We're basically best friends and he's our client. And so we still have to communicate and collaborate with each other, which I am not sad about any, it at all. But um, and we're working on Robomon, which I think yes, is, I can't wait for that. That's, that's a really cool project. If you haven't checked that out, you have to. It's basically Pokemon that you can play with your kids. It's, it's super cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward for it. To it. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Sleeping Gods a lot, actually, of, of of Sleeping Gods if you're familiar with that game. But it is Pokemon, and 
it's meant for one or two players, but you can actually play with more than that. Uh, you would just have different people do the various skill checks and whatnot that are required. And so I've actually planned on getting a couple of, I mean, it, whatever it takes, you know, maybe I'll get two copies or something like that so that my kids can all play at the same time, you know, be might cool. be a fun one. Yeah. So yeah. gang up but, on these poor Rubemon. <laughs> heck yeah. So, uh, so anyway, we'll miss that podcast. We'll miss you, Gabe. Gabe announced that he's starting a YouTube channel on uh, in August. And I think that, you know, he's, he certainly does have plans to continue on and do fun stuff. If you enjoy the board game design lab, he's certainly not letting that go. He has his board game publishing company. He's got other plans, other irons in the fire. And I think that it's possible the podcast may come back one day in, in some form, but it's just, I thought it would be mentioning or worth mentioning as a little bit of a tribute to a good friend and a, uh, a mentor in the industry. So, farewell, Gabe. Need to do like a ba 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 ba. No you know? romantic music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Celine Dion. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's good enough for news for now. Let's jump into our conversation with Brandon and we're going to. Uh, pick up where we start talking about freight. Yeah, so I, I want to dive a little bit into the logistics side of this project management sure. because I'm, you know, I myself am kind of looking to fulfill or to fill. So this is the way, you know, for, for, for me, I think, okay, I have, we raised enough money that I could theoretically hire out this, um, this role of project management. However, I think that I could do a lot of it and also that I should do a lot of it because... I want to have as much, you know, control over the quality of the product and that sort of thing. Uh, maybe I also don't understand the full value of what a project manager can bring. And also the idea of getting somebody up to speed at, you know, to a place where I am, that's going to take a long time. I mean, that's like, you know, hiring on an employee, it takes three months to mm -hmm. kind of train somebody up or whatever. That's, it's a lot of investment. And so what I'm thinking is, you know, we're maybe six weeks out from actually going to print and I really need somebody to help me with logistics. So that's kind of where I'm at in my head. If I were to bring somebody on for logistics, uh, you know, is in general, what I would try to look for is somebody that would, you know, just make sure that we're number one, getting good rates that we're, you know, that all of the companies, the fulfillment companies actually know that our product is going to come to them and have agreed to take our product and that sort mm -hmm. of thing that it, you know, after it's manufactured, it actually gets put on a, a boat or a series of boats and makes it to the end user and, and all of that. And I just look at something like that. If I were to do that myself, I feel like I would, I mean, there are so many, you know, pitfalls in such a process, the way that I look at, mm -hmm. at it. My, with my limited understanding, because I've actually never been through this myself before, you know, so I wanted to bring somebody on. So if, if I were to bring somebody on, I mean, how many hours a week or month or whatever do you think that that would take? And is that a relatively short-term project? Do I bring somebody on to kind of educate me so that I can do that? Or, hmm. you know, do I bring somebody on to take the whole thing and then watch how they did it and <laughs> know better for next time? Or what, like, what would you recommend for somebody chain. in my situation? The thing with supply chain management is, is essentially you have to break it down into subtasks. And while you probably could find someone with supply chain expertise, if you're really lucky, you might find a consultant who can do that. 
but like if if you really really want to get gritty into detail with how to actually get games manufactured and sent where they need to go you got to break it down into steps and figure out what particularly is either too complicated to handle on your own or just too scary really honestly with the things that are going on right now and here's the way i see it supply chain consists broadly of sourcing raw materials if you have something in your game that is not standard manufacturing which is um for board gamers board game creators that involves you know find yourself a long pack or a panda games or a you know print ninja or something like some reputable company and then there is the freight shipping customs clearance and order fulfillment and i'll just go over each of those so once you get your game printed you're going to have to get it from one place to another regardless of where you get it printed i don't care if you get it printed in the same state as you and you're just shipping it across state in the u.s you've got to book freight one way or another and freight basically is like shorthand for shipping anything that's more that weighs more than a person basically everything else can be sent in the mail ups FedEx, <laughs> whatever <laughs> do not send people in the mail that is not what it, that's not the takeaway here wasn't it a youtube kind of craze going where people were like pretending to like ship people they're like oh, faking, they're faking that that's <laughs> that's pr- i know that's probably a thing that's probably like hey youtube social experiment prank whatever <laughs> that's still a thing i hope not anyway so yeah, with, with freight, what you got to do with that is if you're, let's say you manufacture in China, you are probably going to have to book either sea freight. Well, you have to book either sea freight or air freight. And so air freight is only really an option if you are willing to pay lots and lots and lots of money, although it will arrive very quickly. Otherwise, you got to get on a boat. Yeah. And, and where I would understand to do something like that is if you had like 20 copies that needed to be sent into Australia, mm-hmm. you would lose money with air freight, but all in all, you might only spend mm-hmm. 2000 or $2,500 to get your stuff there versus if you put it on a boat, you would spend a significant amount more. Yeah, basically like 20, actually 20 games might be able to go by parcel like UPS or something. You might even be able to split up in like two sets of 10 if they're heavy games or something. Mm-hmm. You can send them like Etherworks or wherever you need to there. Or like cool. VFI or something, but um, noted. <laughs> but I'm writing in my Notepad plus plus. Yeah, and I, I don't mind going over this stuff again if you need me to. I'm dropping names pretty quickly, but in terms of freight, what about train? Is that an option? You know, getting it getting it to Europe because I've heard that as a possibility where you can get a, a train to Europe and then from Europe distribute it elsewhere. So you you've got four types of freight. There's sea, air, rail, and um, road. So like trucks. And in all probability, sending it from one place to another is probably going to be what's called intermodal, which means it's going to switch the freight from one place to another like you at a layover at an airport. So it's kind of like that. What would happen if I were to, say, send some things from Shenzhen, China up to my clients up in Jersey? What would happen is we'd have to book a truck to pick them up from a port or from, from a warehouse in Shenzhen in all probability. And then that truck is going to have to go to the port of Shenzhen. And then it will be loaded onto a big old cargo liner. That cargo liner is going to go through the Panama Canal, probably. Yeah, actually. Is it clogged up? Yeah, hopefully it's not clogged up. Hopefully nothing is stuck there. 
Well, that was the Suez Canal, but same, but it could happen with Panama Canal too. Yeah, and then it's going to have to land ashore in Jersey, probably in the port in Newark, New Jersey, because that's like that's where it's going to land, New New York, New Jersey. And then it's going to have to clear customs. American customs are going to make sure that are these games legal? Are they safe? If they're kids' toys, they're going to make sure that they are actually safe for kids. And then they're going to charge you a bunch of money in taxes, which you got to pay for customs clearance. Once the games are released, then you got to have a truck pick it up from the port, deliver it to your order fulfillment warehouse of choice. Now, all that, all that's that's if you want to outsource all of this, you want a freight broker. Period. I don't have a lot of good names that I can recommend you. I think Jamie Stegmeyer uses OTX, although you might want to double check that and make sure that's correct. But um, if you want to do it in-house these days, you actually can. You used to not be able to. You used to not be able to do this at all. But in the same way that you started being able to book airports and airfare and hotels online in the late 90s, early 2000s, you can now book your own freight. There's a marketplace out there that I like called Freydos. There's Fredos. plenty of That's yeah. Awesome. There's plenty of other options out there too. I'm sure, but Freydos is one I've actually used. Do you feel like they're competitive price wise to something like uh, OTX? Well, here's a I, I don't know a about broker. that to be honest. But what I found the way I found that this works is that you enter in the information about your shipment, where it's coming from, where it's going. And they will show you different freighting companies and what they're going to charge you. And you pick from the available quotes. Could Freydos be getting a markup on it? I honestly couldn't tell you. It could be like an Uber cab situation where Uber charges you more than the cab does with the broker being the cab in this situation and Uber being Freydos. Couldn't tell you. It's good to do due diligence here. But having use of freight marketplace myself, what happens is They'll actually, you pick an option that'll take it from one place to another. And then they'll basically tell you where your inventory is at any given time. Not quite to the degree that the mail will. <laughs> it's, it's, in, it's in days and weeks. It is not in hours. And what they'll do is they'll charge your credit card when it's time for it to start shipping. And they'll charge you again when you get through customs. If your inventory is scanned by customs, like they if they conduct a test and exam, You'll get charged again. No telling what that will cost. It depends on what they do. But either way, it's your responsibility. Yeah, it seems like a headache. I just it's something that I, I personally would want to give to someone else to to handle who probably has you know a ton of experience. because just the time alone researching it and like figuring out how to do all of that. It's like just go over to a professional who does this for a living and just it's, it's kind of like accountancy. Like you could probably do your own books, but by the or time forming you get your own corporation. Yeah, I'll tell by you the time the you sit down and do it, you just pay someone else to do it. The deciding factor in me using a freight marketplace over a broker was actually the fact that I had been working with Fulfillerite for like nine months at that point, and I had a bunch of supply chain experts that I could talk to at any time. So for me, the risk was relatively low, and I didn't even have to make the decision between broker or marketplace. It's easy. But if you don't you know, happen to consult for a shipping company, definitely better to weigh both options and see which one's going to be less of a pain for you. I'd be most concerned using a company like Fredo's that allows me to book things online. Where I'd be most concerned is, you know, maybe I fail to check a box that gets me the right type of insurance if the boat tips over. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe on the other hand, checking a box that unknowingly makes them my agent for something that allows them 
to charge me 500 bucks a year um, or, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. Fredo's for their part and probably other marketplaces too is pretty good about sussing the stuff out. Although you really have to follow a tutorial when you do it. One is they say, do you want, do you want freight insurance on this? And if so, for what value? And if you don't check that box, it will flash up in text. At least I remember this happening that they strongly recommend you get the insurance. So they like, it's hard to miss out on the necessary freight insurance. And as for the value of it, <laughs> you know what you paid the manufacturer. You just got to put in the right number there and add in the cost of freight and maybe a little extra. Like with home insurance, you buy a house for $150. First of all, where? But <laughs> second of all... <laughs> in the bayou. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it, yeah. Gosh. Uh, yeah. You can't do that anymore. But if you buy a house for $150, you are going to get homeowner's insurance for 200 So same thing with freight. If your total shipment costs 20000 get it for like twenty-five or thirty. dollars And that way, if the boat tips over, you ought to get it insured. Depends on the insurance company, of course. It depends on how generous they're being, but that's how you get it. That's how you at least get the policy. Freight broker can also take care of that. And the other thing they'll do is a thing that you can get charged for that runs a risk of actually kind of being a hassle is you have to get a customs bond, which is basically a way of like giving the government a way to get in touch with you if you're doing something that you shouldn't be like smuggling. That's the way I understand it. That's probably not totally right, but you can buy it for re reoccurring or one time. And they say, if you're just shipping one shipment a year, get the one time. If you ship more than one a year, get the recurring one. And that's how you can avoid that. They play pretty nice in that regard. The thing is they can't tell you how much customs is clearance is going to cost in taxes and no one can tell you what the exams are going to cost if they happen. For example, my game Tasty Humans, which has Tasty Humans written in block capitals on the box, coming from China, <laughs> it got x-rayed by U.S. You know, it, it got x-rayed by ICE because... Was the FBI at your house? Humans weren't the FBI there. was not in my house. No organic matter is a part of this game. Yes, they did charge me 600 bucks to run the whole pallet, like all the pallets through an x-ray machine. And nobody could have predicted that. That's not crazy. That's not too unusual for board games. Not just because mine was said that on the box. I wonder if you said does not contain tasty humans if they would have been like, yeah, <laughs> fine. Yeah, like maybe it would have been fine. Maybe it would have been fine. They would be like, oh, that's not suspicious at all. But um, <laughs> no, like they might they might X-ray your games because games sometimes get played by kids, so they like to be extra careful with the safety stuff. Yeah, the, the way you. Uh, I'm going to ship a box from, from China to the U.S. that just says drugs on it. <laughs> just drugs. Like make a board game named Drugs. How to be an excellent drug dealer for dummies. I told them it was rugs. They just misspelled it. <laughs> they misspelled rugs. <laughs> and when they open, it's just confetti. Yeah. No, it's, it's one of those glitter bombs. <laughs> oh, see, no, if, if, you ship, if you ship just boxes of loose glitter, then they probably should impound your goods just for doing that. Yeah, we do not need more glitter in the United States yeah. of America. No, we don't. As a father <laughs> of five daughters, I... <laughs> hope your box gets impounded and thrown yeah. into the ocean the, the other big hurdles with um with games and, and general supply chain obviously 
you need to vet your manufacturing in advance and have a couple of choices just in case. Because like sometimes one will have a power outage for two weeks or something or a, lo- a COVID lockdown and they'll get behind on their work and they can't do your Kickstarter when you need it. Have two or three companies lined up just in case. Same thing with your freight shipping. Have a couple of quotes ready to go. Have your freight broker look at a couple of quotes so that if something happens, you've got multiple companies you can rely on and you can pivot if you need to. Same thing with order fulfillment. Like have a favorite warehouse for each region you plan to ship from you know have a backup plan because stuff happens especially in the covid messed up supply chain world stuff happens now yeah that said you get that basic rule right the other big hurdle is order fulfillment and this is where i got to be careful because i do have i do consult for a shipping company so like i'm trying not to let bias slip in here at all but what what that happened what that is is that's when somebody will receive your freight shipments of inventory, pull everything out of the boxes, store them where they need to go, and then individually pack packages to go out to backers with the postage and the bubble wrap and everything. Now you can do this in your own home if you want to. And <laughs> I've done I've done this. It feels I've like you this. can shoot yourself in the leg if you want to. There is a photo of me, 23 years old, opening a bottle of wine in front of. 50 boxes all in my apartment's living room you can do this you can and and actually if you do this i I recommend you either set up a small shopify store and get the postage there or go to paypal at least because you get a discount don't buy the retail prices that's just nuts right just don't do that shipo.com is also very cool easy ship anything you can do that (laughs) so andrew when's the sea container being delivered to your driveway (laughs) i know i i guess i have the the property for a container road trip (laughs) i wonder if my hoa would mind you don't get to keep the container unfortunately (laughs) those are actually also in shortage believe it or not because of those people building those tiny homes because that's tiny they can homes. afford yeah. for $150,000. That's all you get. <laughs> now, if, if you, you can actually ship yourself, and I'm not even being sarcastic about it. If most of your backers live in your country or in the EU, in the EU, and you have a couple hundred orders and it's not really complicated and you have space in your home and a little bit of time, you can do this. However, if you have more than a couple hundred orders, you probably need to hire help. I would start by finding in small to mid campaigns, one warehouse located in the region where most of your backers are. And then as you need to get one in regions where the second biggest amount of backers are and the third biggest and so on, and you do whatever you need to do, I would say don't send less than like 50 orders to a place unless you have like a really, really good reason. You'll have to crunch the numbers on that, of course. I trust people to kind of like do their own math on this. You'll need to pick a warehouse in the correct region. And then from there, the key parts of project management are make sure you tell them when it's going to arrive. Make sure you have the proper documentation applied to those boxes. And when they are received, make sure you like before they show up, tell them how much you're sending, how much it weighs how big it is, what kind of packaging you want it to be packed in, and then upload all your orders from Kickstarter or wherever you need to, or Indiegogo or whatever, if you do a different system. That way, when they arrive and that receiving's done, the warehouse can get to work and three, four days later, it's out the door. Any paperwork issues, that's weeks and weeks of delays that could be avoidable. So so we've covered freight, we've covered manufacturing. Is there anything else in the process you want to highlight? 
that those are the manufacturing freight and order fulfillment are the big ones. I would say a caveat on order fulfillment, if you are shipping from a region that someone doesn't live in and make sure that if they get a customs charge when it's shipped to them, like for example, if an American ships to a Brit, they're going to get a customs charge. Make sure you pay the customs charge for them, either with the kind of postage that you get in advance, that's called delivery duty paid, or reimburse them by PayPal or something so that they don't have to pay that on their own. I, I think that one of the big problems that I'm at least aware of is that customs charges, little customs charges, 2,700 backers or whatever it is, even if it's just 500 backers in other countries, I think I have over a thousand, but but yeah, that's a... Uh, that's a lot of things that I have to address. Yeah. Right? Do you know what pwns you? Game crafter. When you're trying to get it sent to like the UK or, yeah. or, or Europe, you yeah. just get this huge customs fee. Try to get your prototype over to you. It's like, oh, I wasn't accounting for this. <laughs> so it's that, that's something to be aware of if you're in Europe and you're getting something from the game crafter. Because ironically, it's actually cheaper. To get, there's one in the UK called Ivory Games that does prototypes, but it's actually cheaper, even with a custom fee, to get it made in the game crafter and get it sent to Europe. So that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. If you, if you really want to Google this in detail, look up customs day minimus D E space M I N I M I S. And if you do that, it will tell you the, um, how, how much, a, a, how much a shipment has to be worth before somebody gets charged customs. It's different for every country in America. You don't get charged customs to receive anything until you exceed 800 US. Australia's got a very similar rule too. In the UK, it's 15 pounds sterling. Oh, uh-huh, 15 pounds. Yeah. It's, it's time to throw the tea over the, over the ship. <laughs> and that includes the price of the postage too. Yeah, it's not so In Europe, it's 22 euros, which with current exchange rates is 22 US dollars. So almost the same thing. Every country's got different rules. The UK and EU are probably the strictest ones right now. No matter how much I read, the, I, I just don't feel like I can totally understand. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to focus on America's problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have plenty. plenty uh, I was going to say, you're never going to get bored. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon, can you tell people your av- availability at the moment? and uh, Where can they, they find you? You can find a lot of my articles on brandonthegamedev.com. If you want to get my company directly, that's PangeaMarketingAgency.com. If you want to actually book an hour of my time, you can do that freely through the agency website. And if you do that, we'll discuss whatever my availability happens to be at the time. It fluctuates a lot, as is the nature of client work, but we can work something out from there. And I'm pretty much always taking free consults. Great. Um, and free consults are not even like pressure salesy things. If you're just really stuck on a board game or you need general marketing advice, I take that too. Because they're also kind of networking for me as well. So let's say if we had a client that came to us, it's like, hey, I'm like a gazillionaire and I just want somebody to like do everything for me, like manage my Kickstarter campaign, manage my socials. Is that someone that we could send in your direction? Yes, you can send gazillionaires because if you send gazillionaires, <laughs> I am going to reach out to a staffing agency I know and scale up very quickly. Okay. <laughs> it's, the, it's the intermediate issues that I have trouble with. An hour there, two hours there is not a problem. It's like if you say, I need eight hours a week at a time, I'm like, okay, let's figure out a contract and then I'm going to go hire out that work somewhere. Oh. Well, okay. um, you think that's a hypothetical situation, but I don't know if he's a gazillionaire, but we actually had that happen. 
yeah. uh, somewhat recently where we're like, we might have a need for you. We're just not set up for, you know, sometimes people will come in and say, look, I want to be your only client and I'll pay you all the money. And it's like, great. But what happens when you're like, I don't want to stay anymore. It's like, I guess we're and, all and of, all of our previous uh, commitments. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say the whole only client thing. It's like under the right circumstances, an agency can absolutely scale up and take on a, a lot of work really mm -hmm. quickly if need be. But it's like, you can't drop the commitments that you've already gotten. It's not too good to have just one client as well. Yeah. It, That's a, it's called client concentration. It's actually a metric that a lot of agencies, I'm sure you know this, but yeah. a lot of the agencies for the listeners, they, they try and make sure that not too much percentage of their work is coming from uh, one client. Yeah, I, if you were, if you were the my pillow guy and you relied only on Walmart, you'd be out of business right now. Yeah, probably my pillow guy. Wait, did they? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hear he's been quite controversial though. I got to say, I'm not sure what that's all about. Like I I'm not aware of the news that is basically is a very vocal uh, Trump supporter and other types of things. Like imagine Alex Jones, if Alex Jones started selling pillows, you basically have the my pillow guy and you give him a really awesome mustache. And... Does he have the does he have the voice though? That's the Yeah, that's true. Um Oof. imagine I'm, gonna, like I'm just if... gonna I'm gonna put one yikes out there for the record. Yeah, he's just, he's, like he's very Billy vocal. Mays he's was he's... mixed with yeah. Trump <laughs> and oh, then had the personality of Alex Jones and sold pillows. No, he's I that is that is <laughs> That's a mix of human traits that a person is capable of having. He said controversial stuff. Uh, that's that's basically. It. Yeah, he's he's got. I mean, he's he he knows what he he's he's all about, and he vocalizes it very well. I also for if you're if you want to see some kind of unusual off the wall marketing articles, I'd also like to point you to weirdmarketingtales.com. Just for an example, the last six articles are titled "How on Earth Is SpongeBob SquarePants Still Relevant in 2022." It's not judgmental. It's actually an honest look as, as to why it's the longest running show in the history of America. Five career lessons I learned from film director Sam Raimi. So he did Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness and a bunch of other stuff too um, mm -hmm. recently. How Ya Boy Kong Ming teaches us marketing. I did not write that one. That's apparently about an anime. Ancient Chinese general who is reincarnated in modern day Japan and helps somebody become an influencer. <laughs> uh, yeah yeah that, that that's the concept of it and I, my, my, I, one of my content writers says i really want to write about this i'm like i don't know if we can pull this off he does it he turns in a draft i love it publish it <laughs> uh, then there's daft punk or building a brand by anti-marketing because you never see their faces and that's pretty unusual how Fortnite integrates brands and makes billions yes we did an article on Fortnite. interesting and why Formula One is so popular right now. So if you're interested in weird stuff like that, we write about just about everything, like the the movie The Room and how that made $30 million and all kinds of weird case studies, if you like that kind of thing. Yeah, that sounds that's interesting. Awesome. Check that out. I like it. That's all. I just wanted to throw that out there. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. A big shout out to Brandon Rollins, a.k.a. Brandon the Game Dev. If you're interested in Brandon's work, you can visit him at brandonthegamedev.com. You can visit his marketing agency at pangeamarketingagency.com. And if you're really interested in some weird marketing tales, check out his uh, work at weirdmarketingtales.com. 
And of course, if you like this episode and would like to listen to some of our previous episodes, visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. And if you need help, click on that Hire Us button and we'll help you out. Until then, stay cool, stay awesome, and stay nerdy.